Hello and welcome to the Get Spanish Football News Show. My name is Tom Hay and I'm joined here in Madrid for the second time by European football journalist Rhys Tigwell. Now, for those of you waiting with bated breath for our reaction to the Copa del Rey semi-finals, we've currently got an eye on it because it's happening right now. As it currently stands, it's 1-0 to Sevilla at halftime. So just in case you're wondering, what do the guys think about that? We don't know because it hasn't finished yet, but looking good for Sevilla at halftime. Um, moving on, Rhys, what did you think of Real Madrid's win? against Getafe on Tuesday night. They picked up a really, really, really important three points, made all more significant by the fact, I think, that quite a few young players participated as well. What did you make of this one? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, it was a fairly routine victory in the end. Um, we had goals from Benzema and Mendy, um, and interestingly, Marcelo was captain for this game. Um, but as you rightly mentioned, this was a Madrid side that was missing Rodrigo, uh, Valverde, Hazard, and, and most importantly, Ramos, who's, who underwent surgery at the weekend um, for a knee injury. And he's likely to be out until at least April now. Yeah, it doesn't look good for, for him at all. And um, yeah, a few guys came in and definitely definitely stepped up to it. Just on a personal note, I'm really happy that, that Marcelo played the way that he did and the role that he did because he's come under so much criticism, you know, just for the fact that when he starts, games Madrid tend not to do particularly well, or at least that's been the case for, for the last year or so. So good from his point of view. Great to see Marvin Park getting a game as well. I just think that guy's got such, such an incredible story where he's come from, you know, going through Tranmere Rovers and all that kind of stuff. Just the, his background's incredible and great to see him getting a game. Yeah, that's right. So he, he um, went had a spell at Tramir after his parents moved to the UK for work purposes um, before he returned to Spain and, and uh, featured more in a couple of the youth setups. Um, he, he's already featured against Sociedad and, and uh, Huesca on Saturday, uh, but this was his first start. Um, and he's, he's a pacey winger and hopefully he's got a bright future ahead of him. He's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. He seems, he seems to, yeah. And he started, uh, he started on the right hand side of midfield. He was up against Mark Kukureya, who's not an easy opponent to to be up against because he's he's one of these left left wingers that can also be a, a left back and seems to kind of he's he's a very versatile player and he's very tough, like a lot of the Getafe uh, team tend to be. Interesting that you said it was a, a a sort of routine victory at the end. It was, and that's not normal against Getafe. Um, especially in the last season, has often been described as when you go to play them away. I know they were at Valdebebas last night, but when you go to play them away, that that's been called go like going to the dentist before, because it's such an un, <laughs> such an unpleasant experience playing against them. But in the end, it wasn't really like that. We'll get onto why we think uh, Getafe might have played that um, that way in, in in a few minutes. But um, yeah, really, really good for, for the young guys. Another couple of young players given a game, uh, Sergio Arribas, uh, Victor Chus Garcia as well. You were talking earlier today about the fact that Isco didn't start. What do you what do you read into that? And me and Daniel touched, touched on it a little bit last week, but how do you see the Isco uh, situation at Real Madrid? Yeah, I, I mean, I know he's been injured and, and, and uh, he didn't feature at all against Wesker. Um, but I think he's been he's been frozen out for a while now um, and he hasn't been performing anywhere near his best for, for quite a few seasons. Um, he hasn't scored a single goal this season and there's speculation that he could have he could have left the club in January. But I think in this climate, um, it's a huge risk to, to not only pay those uh, transfer fees to, to Real Madrid, but also to cover his wages, which, which are not are not small by any means. Um, and this doesn't come cheap. And for few clubs could actually afford Isco in this climate. 
um, and, and making a move like a big move like this in January is, is quite rare at the best of time, let alone in, in this situation we find ourselves in. But I think that the fact that he didn't play, even if he was 70%, I mean, he must have been fit enough to make the bench. Um, the fact that he didn't play and, and Marvin Park did, a, a guy who hasn't started a single game at Real Madrid yet, is uh, perhaps worrying or a sign of, of what Zidane thinks of Isco now. Yeah, there was, there was a couple of indications of that. I mean, we were talking about it last week, the fact that he... He wasn't used at all, and Arribas was brought on, who's 19 years old, I think. And you know, it's just uh, if you're him, you're you are probably sitting there thinking, well, what am I, what am I doing at the club? Uh, in many ways, and but yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. Perhaps in other years, you would have you would have moved away, you would have gone someone else, but it's just not the time to be going anywhere, really. Never mind abroad. And uh, yeah, so it's a it's it's a very very strange situation for Isco, and, and you do feel for him. So good news from Madrid. We're going to talk a little bit more about them later, but I think we have to chat about Jose Bordalas, the Gaddafi manager, because he's been at the, he's been. Well, where do you begin with this? He's been the the center of attention following this spat that he's had with Julian Lopetegui. But um, yeah, it's it's just kind of blown up in the last week or so. What's the story behind this Bordalas affair? Yeah, so Bordalas and. Uh... And Lopetegui uh, exploded at one another, I suppose you could say, um, at the weekend in the game between Hatafe and Sevilla. Um, but basically, uh, to cut a long story short, uh, we had a nasty challenge from Gene. Um, and although some people have said, you know, he got the ball, I think he, he deserves to go for that. It was, it was a nasty challenge. Um, and there, there really is no place for that sort of thing in the modern game. Um, but an interesting point, actually, about Hetafe is they're quite a dirty team. They've actually had the most fouls in, in La Liga this season. They've had more yellow cards than any other team. And uh, this is the nature of how they play. But um, when it comes to things like this, there's you just can't do that anymore. No, you can't do it anymore. It reminded me in many ways, and I don't. It's not for the the faint of heart watching this. I was surprised that they put it up on the the highlights reel. Actually, um, this tackle. Uh, on 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 a campus is is ankle bends you know it was really really horrible he had to be stretched off it reminded me a little bit of Goyko Chase tackle on Maradona back in the early eighties and the the Bilbao game it's you know really really nasty and it it was like you don't want to exaggerate but it was one of these kind of career ending things you know it could have could have gone horribly horribly wrong and you would last two minutes in a borderless press conference. I hope you know that. <laughs> if you if you end up going there, you you know just don't don't let me hear this. Goodness sake! Yeah, he does not like when people call his team dirty. He is really really angry about it. Even if you compliment his team and call them physical or something like that, he get he gets angry. Uh, you go back to to April twenty eighteen. They went away to Abar. And they uh, they won one nil, but they were it was a pretty disgraceful performance in terms of fouls, <laughs> in terms of uh, time wasting, and and all that kind of stuff. And a journalist in the press conference after this game, April twenty eighteen, uh, said, "We noticed that you're you're wasting a lot of time, uh, that you're interrupting the game quite a lot. That you're a very physical team. Like you know, is this part of, part of your plan or whatever?" And he, he refused to answer the question. He said, "That's an impertinent question. I'm I'm not going to dignify it with a." With a response, 2019, he, he got this is back in I think it was around about November. He uh, he exploded in a similar way at Arasate, the the Osasuna manager, who actually complimented him. He actually said that you know <laughs> they, they're an effective physical team, 
you know what you're getting when you're playing against them. They're very, very tough to play against, and he's got them got them playing very well. And I think because he said that they were physical, I mean, you could you could give uh, Bordelais the benefit of the doubt and say, oh, well, he just got the rung in the stick. But he blew up in this press conference about um, at, at Arasate saying that, you know, uh, he spoke about our style of play as if we're playing, as if they're playing the most wonderful, silky, one-touch football. And they're not. And it's a disgrace that he should have a go at us. And um, following this this thing with with uh, with Lopetegui, he's he's totally uh, blown up at him. He's saying uh, Lopetegui owes me an apology for for uh, the way he's acted for you know for being angry at the situation. Surely the way Lopetegui looks at this is well, one of my best players has almost had his ankle you know destroyed by one of your players. You can understand why Lopetegui's um, angry. Do you understand at all where Bordelas is coming from, saying that Lopetegui should apologise to him, that if he was insulted by Lopetegui, do you, have you any sympathy with him? Uh, not really, to be honest, because um, particularly the nature of who it was, it, it was uh, a Campos, and a, a Campos is so uh, pivotal to, to not only um, as a key player for Sevilla, but just how they work and how they function as a team. And uh, I think pretty much any manager around the world would would react in a similar way to Lopetegui if, if this sort of thing had happened. Um, but yeah, Borderless is certainly an interesting character and uh, I don't think this is the last of these sort of spats of managers in his career. No, no, no. It's uh, yeah, def- not the first, and I, I doubt it'll be the last either. Uh, somebody did mention on Twitter that he might actually be a very clever guy because here in Madrid, it was the rainiest night I remember here for a long, long time, and he got himself a touchline ban for the for the Real Madrid game, so he wasn't there. On, <laughs> and the Valderrama's Madrid Stadium has very, very poor cover because it's just a training ground. So whoever, when you're on the touchline, you get you're absolutely pelted with rain. So Bordalas managed to avoid that. He did still come out swinging after the game though. He's still angry, he has not calmed down at all and he's um <laughs> he's just, just a very angry man, but he was uh, he was having a go at, at Lopetegui again. He was saying that the reason my team and this takes us back to the original point, the reason the team didn't look like Hitafe is because they're traumatized by by what's by what's been going on, by the things that have been said about them. Uh, he basically said, I feel like this is a, a, a reaction from my team to what's happened and what's been said about them in the press, that they are too physical. And uh, if something so negative is said so many times, uh, some people can end up believing it. So he's come out swinging uh, at the press, uh, still won't let the Lopetegui thing go. And he even had a go at his board. He said that the, the club hasn't come out and defended me the way I would expect it to have been defended in, in these circumstances. So, I mean, totally, really totally mad. Um, but yeah, great, great kind of soap opera uh, sort of stuff. Um, we're going to move on now to Atletico because that was sort of the story of the weekend, apart from this mad, uh, mad kind of blow up between those two managers. At the top of the table, uh, Atletico dropping points was a, was a, a big story. Robbie Dunn wrote in the inside the Calderon that these drop points could be symptomatic of a more general problem with Simeone's new system, particularly the the defence. Should they be worried at all about about dropping points? I def, uh, it's definitely something to consider uh, under this new system, where it appears to be playing three at the back. Um, but it's not the first time Simeone has changed his system, and it, it certainly does make them more vulnerable to conceding goals. Um, however, they've still only conceded 12 goals in the division, which is um, 
which is uh, the lowest in the division, of course. Yeah. Um, I think Simeone, of all people, would be disappointed, though, to concede that late goal because all of his career, his, uh, his managerial career, he's prided himself on, on his defences um, and therefore to switch off right at the end like that would, would no doubt anger him. And of, of all the people to score, actually, it was actually Facundo Ferreira mm. um, who spent a whole, a whole year on loan at Newcastle back in the 2014-15 season. And he didn't actually play a single game. <laughs> and he pops up with, a, you know, I guess the team with this incredible record. It's funny how these things um, end up happening, but it's, it's, uh, it was, I think they were pretty unlucky. Maybe perhaps one thing that they, they should be worried about, and I get what you're saying about the defence being being very strong. It's just a fact that it's the strongest in the league. They have, um, they are now without a clean sheet in four. And they've conceded twice uh, in consecutive games against Delta and then against Cardiff as well. So you do wonder if, if it's maybe just slightly, you know, I think the bar is just so high, you know, that the fact that they, they haven't kept the clean sheet in four, it is kind of newsworthy. So um, the three in defence, as you say, they, they, they switched to that in November. And that part of the, the, the reason for that was that they weren't creating enough chances. And it was starting to remind us all a little bit of, of what, went on last season with the amount of nil-nil draws and boring games that, that we had from Atletico where they just didn't look like they had a, a hope of scoring they were, I think they were worried that was going to happen and Simeone to his credit steps up changes the system goes to three at the back floods the midfield and starts to play more expansive exciting football that we don't normally associate with his teams so he, 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 he stepped up made that decision and I think he deserves a lot of credit for maintaining that record despite that things have been turned on their head a little bit um, so I, th- I think it's been really good. I think another factor of Atletico's success this season has also been the fact that a lot of key players have improved a lot. And Simeone's come out and said this as well. I think Carrasco, for example, has really upped his game. I think Hermoso as well. And arguably the, the, the most improved player has been Lamar, who just looks like a new, a new player this year. And I, I think he's been absolutely fantastic. It's noteworthy that of those three players that I've named, Atletico have been at their most shaky when one or more of those guys has been out. I think that, that those three guys from being not fringe players as such, but but not not the main not the main guys, um, you get to a situation where they're really part of the driving force of the team, and 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 it does show when they're not there. Um, but. I suppose saying all this, it doesn't really matter when you have Luis Suarez in your team because that guy is absolutely on fire, isn't he? He is. I mean, at 34, still going strong. Um, he's pulling away at the, at the top of the scoring charts now for the Pichichi. Uh He's now got 16 goals in, in only 17 games that he's played, <laughs> which is three more than the joint second best of, of Messi and, and uh, El Naziri, should be noted, is up there as well. Yeah. And I think I think Barcelona, um, despite all their financial problems and need to offload Suarez, an Asian Suarez from the from the wage books, will be kicking themselves, no doubt, because even if they couldn't afford to keep him, um, to sell him to an arch rival and someone in their their own league, uh, a title challenger as well, is absolutely crazy, and it's 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 the it's biting them now. Yeah, Kenneth, it's it's a wonder that, and I think it just shows you how badly these things are managed. You know, a lot of the time now, you see it, for example, in the case of, of Papu Gomez. Atalanta at the at the board level were smart enough to say, okay, we'll let you go because this is this situation is irreparable. We'll let you go, but we're not going to sell you to a direct rival. 
you know that that was that was basically the only thing that they really were were um were solid about and were like no we, we can't move in this he can't he can't go to a, a Serie A rival you wonder why Barcelona wouldn't wouldn't have done that um I mean were the injuries so much of a factor that they thought that this guy's just finished I mean did they really think he was going to be I mean I, I think it surprised everybody how how good he's been I would hold my hands up. I didn't think he was going to be running for the Pachichi this year. One, I didn't. I wasn't sure if he was going to be fit enough, and that could still be an issue with time. But I just did not think he had it in him. Like <laughs> I'll just be honest, I did not think he had it in him to be to be this good. So, yeah, Barcelona will absolutely be um, be kicking themselves here. How well is he settled in? Do you think there? Because it is a different team, isn't it? You know, you're you're coming from a different playing culture at Barcelona to Atletico. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, a lot of people were saying at the start when he came, how is he going to fit in with Diego Costa? But obviously uh, Costa's gone now and it was inevitable really that one of them had to go because they're two very similar players um, and to be, to be able to play together wasn't really going to happen. Um, but last night he was up front with, with Correa and uh, he's featured a lot up front with, with Felix, um, who is really the the main striker considering the the money that they paid for him um but i think he's he's fitted in really well with Simeone's side um it surprised me how just how hard um that Simeone has got Suarez working um and he manages to get this out of all of his players um even at, as i said the grand old age of 34 he's still putting in a, a mammoth shift every game mm. um not only with what he can do in his ability but off the ball and working and having that dogged mentality that Simeone installs in players. Yeah, I, I think that, that that was another thing that the physical side of the game, we touched on that just there. I think it was one of the things that would have been a concern when he arrived, particularly the fact that at, at Barcelona, there is a more relaxed attitude in terms of training. There's all sorts of chaos going on off the pitch. But in, terms of the, but in terms of the training, it is a far more relaxed uh, regime. There's lots of rondos and stuff like that. There's lots of kind of, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, the quality of the players is so high technically, and um, typically, and this happens at Real Madrid as well, that the training sessions aren't typically intense. And managers who deviate from that at these clubs, Benitez comes to mind, Lopetegui as well, when he was at Real Madrid. Barcelona is the same. The, the managers that try and work the players too hard often don't last very long because the players don't stand for it. Now, you go to Atletico and it's a completely different club culture. You know, you have uh, you have Ortega there, who the, the, the Uruguayan, who absolutely runs the players into the ground. Uh, and Simeone as well, who's famously just religious about how, how often he weighs the players and how critical he is about that kind of stuff, about the fitness side of the game. I think that would have been a, a big, big uh, transition for Suarez. Probably something he would have been roughly aware of before he went into it. But, you know, you, you wondered how he was going to deal with that. You couple that with the fact that he was being taken off 20 minutes before the end of games and you wondered how he was going to react to that we've seen him sometimes reacting kind of badly to being substituted in the past and things like that so there are a couple of factors that you made that made us think well how is this guy going to do here but he's a wonderful professional uh, Luis Suarez and there's no getting away from that and he's a, he's adapted so so well 34 years of age and you know he's he's, he's an absolute pleasure to watch and I think he will bail um, Atletico out on more than one occasion when they really need it and I, I think it's the reason 
why you would have to say that they're still going strong for the the title. They've obviously got a, a, an interesting game coming up at the weekend, which we'll we'll touch on later. We're going to go down the bottom of the table now uh, because we've sort of been a bit. Uh, reluctant to enter into this chat about the relegation battle and who's going to go down and things like that because when it's in the first half of the season a lot of kind of mad things can happen and it can it can fluctuate a little bit now that we're past the halfway line um who do you think should be worried reese <laughs> who's who should be a bit nervous i think uh Huesca and elche is no surprise that they're down where they are um i think they will i think Almost certainly Huesca will be gone. I think Elche are likely to follow. Mm. Um, Elche haven't won a single game since since October. Uh, and Huesca, whilst they've been um, always exciting to watch, playing good football, and we've seen some quite good things, and they've been, I suppose you could say, quite unlucky at numerous times throughout the season. Um, such is the nature of football, really, and I think that they just don't have the quality for La Liga. Yeah, it, re- it reminds me of... A touch of maybe Mallorca last season. Mallorca were kind of doing all the right things. They were playing nice football. I would never have turned away, shied away from a Mallorca game. Not just because Kubo was playing and he was fantastic, but they they tried to play nice football. They were usually entertaining to watch. They weren't a bunch of hatchet men or anything. You know, they they were they were usually good to watch, but it just didn't really work out. And Leganes as well. They had they had their moments, but they were just one of these teams that you just kind of always knew were were going to go down. And Wesker are reminding me a lot of uh, of of those two, particularly of, of of Mallorca, just for for everything that you said. Um, Valladolid as well. I would be very very worried. There's I've, I've got a few Valladolid people on Twitter, and the 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 biggest kind of complaint that you get from them is just that the team look like they're just almost like exhausted already at the halfway point of the season they seem to not it's a typical kind of football fan complaint but they seem to not have the heart at the moment as if they're down and it's it's, it's like it is a team on on the down sort of thing on in, in free fall that's the expression i'm looking for <laughs> um and yeah it's it's the manager circular it was his 200th game in charge uh, the other day against um against alaves didn't go the way you would have wanted. 1-0, again, sort of dispirited, weak kind of looking performance. And uh, what's really worrying about that as well is that that, that match against Alaves was the second of three matches against sides who could all be considered as direct rivals in the relegation fight. Wesco was the other game which, other enough, they lost. So they've picked up zero points for these two games, which are important. Uh, and we're gonna talk a little bit about this at the weekend. They're they're playing the the they're playing a bar at the weekend, who are also right down there, equal on points with them, and also have a pretty pretty rubbish record of late. So, via the lead, like I, I don't know what you think. I really I, I'm I'm I'd be worried if I was them. Yeah, I would too. I'd I'd agree with that point. Um, but it's funny of via the lead because uh, unlike uh, Elche and and Huesca. They got a couple of, I suppose you could say, sort of star players in Oriana, uh, who's who was brilliant um, at, in his days at Celta and uh, Abar and Valencia, of course. But I suppose he's getting on a little bit now, thirty-five. I've also got Roque Mesa, uh, who's who was at Las Palmas. He had a spell in England with Swansea. But I think one of the main problems is is, is they're struggling to score goals. They haven't really got a goal, an out-and-out goal threat. Um, they they brought in Sean Weissman from um, Wolfsburger, not to be confused with Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg. Of Germany, but 
Wolfsberger of, of, of Austria. Um, he scored 30 goals last season in the Austrian Bundesliga, which is a little bit less quality than, than the German Bundesliga, but still 30 goals. I'd expect him to score a few more than he has for, for Valladolid, um, but he hasn't really hit the ground running this season. Yeah, Oriana is interesting. You, you should you should mention him. Yeah, he had, he had a great season at um, Abarn. Just about, I think, I think his age was one of the reasons he didn't go to a bigger club. You know, from from Abarn. Yeah. You know, he, uh, based on his performance last season, if you look at the guy's stats, probably spec. It wouldn't be too far off to say if the guy was ten years younger, he would be he would be a much bigger club. Um, but yeah, it's just it's not working out from them there at all. And uh, it is a club that has a, ambitions. You know. Uh, think of the Ronaldo's role there. You know he, he he's obviously there, trying to make the club uh, into something bigger than, than than what it has been of late, and what it looks like it's going to be, which could very well be a, a Segunda team uh, next season if, if things don't change. I kind of think that if things don't pick up soon, the manager could be for the chop, and I I hate I hate that I hate saying that because nobody wants to see anybody lose their job, you know, but. Uh, they are, yeah, they are really, um, they're really not not doing particularly well. However, they will be in my weekend preview, which we'll get onto at the end of the show <laughs> for a team that you should be watching. Uh, we're going to move on to Real Madrid again. I'm going to go back to Real Madrid because there's a few interesting transfer rumours. Now, those of you listening at home might think, well, the transfer window's closed. We've got no transfers to talk about. Wrong. There are always transfers to talk about. And these are great rumours, aren't they, uh, Reese? Where, where, where do you want to start? Um, I'm liking the the Alaba that he's in the he's back in just when you thought that it was a done deal. A little bit of doubt has been cast on this. What what could you tell us about that? Yeah, so it was almost a done deal that that Alaba was going to be heading to to Real Madrid. Um, he's, he's expressed his desire to to leave by, and he's he's won everything the club, and he he simply wants a new challenge. Um, and as you say, in January it looked as if. He was going to sign that pre-contract. It was almost a done deal. And uh, there's been the latest twist is that now Chelsea are apparently one option for him. But wages could be a big problem. It's been reported in the Telegraph that they could only do this deal if the wages, uh, if Alaba dem- um, didn't demand as high wages. Um, but I think this is one that will, that will go down to the wire. Um, and there'll, I've, no doubt there'll be a lot more twists and turns along the way. Mm. Yeah, like uh, the the wages thing. I think the that would be that would be a problem for Chelsea. City have also been uh, in, rumored to be involved as well. Obviously, Guardiola managed Alaba at uh, Bayern Munich when he was there. He's obviously a fan. Do you think is there's any possibility that he could end up going there from from Madrid, or or do you think he's probably going to be be at Madrid come come the end of the season? I think he probably will go to Madrid, but. As you say, it's definitely a possibility, and and the the benefit of Alaba is he started his career as a, as a central midfielder, but then he moves to left back, and then he's playing at attacking midfield for Austria, and now at Bayern uh, in the past season or so he's been playing at centre back, um, so he offers so much uh, versatility as to where he can play that so, so many clubs are going to be sniffing around him, mm-hmm. but I think if Madrid want him, as is often the case, if the if the funds are there. If they want if they want their man, they'll get him. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's uh, I'd I'd still put my money on him going there, but early days and yeah, yeah. So and I think as well, Madrid like they really really do need the, the somebody like that because it's been rumored that 
Varan is uh, quite possibly on his way out. This one actually, like, it's not kind of unfounded. His, his contract is going to expire fairly soon. And Marka, we're talking about this today uh, as well. Could you talk a little bit about that, the Varan situation? Yeah, so Varan, the hero of the weekend, uh, he scored both the goals against Wesker to, t- to turn the game on its head. And Madrid obviously come out victors. His contract's expiring next summer. And it's speculated that if he doesn't sign a deal this summer, an extension at the club, uh, then they may sell him on in the summer. Um, PSG, Man United are potential destinations. I think very, very few clubs could afford him, um, particularly in these times, something we've already discussed about other things. Um, potential replacements for him have been rumoured to be Pal Torres, who's been fantastic at, at Villarreal. Um, alongside uh, Diego Carlos has been mentioned and Jules Kunde, both, both Sevilla centre-halves. Um, it's early stages, I think, and, and it may not even happen, but it's definitely some, something to consider and something to be quite exciting. Kunde could be a fan's favourite as well. We've got 15 minutes left of this game as, as, we're, as we're recording. <laughs> Kunde's still the only goal separating the, the, the two sides. So, yeah, that would, that would make him a Real Madrid fan's favourite. Should he, should he get that one? Um, how likely is it? Do you think that that Varane will go? Just there, uh, we get the bet. I don't think he will. Bet. I don't think he will because uh, going back a number of years now that we had this sort of talk before with with Varane, um, he's just absolutely wonderful as a player, um, and he's won absolutely everything. You know, he's been at Madrid since 2011. Um, as I say, he's won everything the football has to offer, but many of which is, he's won on multiple occasions. Um, so you, you do wonder with players, you, you don't know, is it a thing? Does he want something different? You know, is, is he bored of winning everything all the time? Um, but I think, I think he'll stay on. Yeah, he's, he's, I think he's extremely settled here as well in terms of his family and all yeah. that kind of stuff. It's like, it's, you know, I, I often, I'm a little bit, reluctant to kind of go with these theories that the players are bored a lot of the time. I think it does happen, particularly with younger players maybe, but when you get to the older guys, the more established guys, I think if they are happy in a place, you, you could easily see somebody like that staying, you know? So as, a, as one I'm, I'm not particularly sure about, last one of the day, although I'm sure next week there'll be, there'll be more um, on, on on these, Ramos to, to PSG. He's been like, now we obviously know that he's just He's going to be. Is he already? I don't know if he's already had his operation, but yeah, it's requiring an operation. Um, so he's going to be out for for a while. But there's been rumours of him going to PSG. Again, same question. What do you What do you think? How likely is is this? Uh, I think this one's less likely than Varane. I'd say because uh, Ramos has has given so much to Madrid over the years, and I think he's he's so loyal to the club. And again, like Varane, won absolutely everything many of which on multiple occasions, mm. uh, league titles, Champions League, Copa del Rey, Club World Cup, uh, the list goes on really. And I think if, if he ever was to leave Real Madrid, you know, if he didn't finish his, his career here, I think it would be uh, a move to say, I don't know, the MLS or, or China to, to end his playing days or, or Qatar rather than another top top major European rival. Yeah, it's, it's almost it's like a a move that really could have been made and maybe should have been made earlier in in his career. But like, can you can you say that he would regret not having done that? Look at everything he's won. Look at the success he's had. The trophies he's won. 
in Madrid. You know, he's, he's had a, an incredible career there. And to move to a club that size, this isn't the PSG of 10 years ago. You know, this is this is a, a team that really came very close to winning the Champions League last season. We'll be looking to do the same every season for the foreseeable. You know, it's a club with big ambitions. I don't know if Ramos would be would be going there. And it's probably likely if he is going to move, he'd move to maybe a level down, uh, just given his age. And you wonder how big a part injuries are going to play in his um, in his career from now on. Will he end up in the MLS? Will he end up in, as you say, China? Something like that. Um, yeah, I think this is probably the least the least likely of the of the three. There'll be more more Real Madrid transfer rumors next week and <laughs> the next time you come on the showries. Uh, but yeah, just in what's left of the program, let's do our traditional weekend preview. I'll let you start. What's the first game that you're going to you're going to watch this weekend, or you recommend watching this weekend? I think the uh, Real Madrid Valencia game is is perhaps a, a favourite. Um, historically a big fixture in Spain, uh, but but no more, unfortunately, with Valencia and all their problems off the pitch. Um, they're no longer competing, uh, forget the title, but even for, for the Champions League places now. Um, but it would certainly be an interesting tie between two historically big teams in Spain. Yeah, and Madrid out for revenge after the, the pasting they got the last time around. I think that <laughs> might have been as well, we were talking about East Squarely, I think that might have been the only Liga game that he started, um, which is not a good one to start at. And he also started against Alcoyano as well. So maybe that's, we're looking for clues about why he's not starting. Maybe it's maybe it's in those results. But yeah, they'll be out for revenge, try to uh, overturn that. You obviously fancy Madrid to to win that one but yeah I think it's um, it's always a good game to watch that isn't it you know it doesn't matter where Valencia are challenging it's, it's usually an entertaining game so fingers crossed it's the same I'm going to go with uh, Granada and uh, and Atletico is a good game to watch um, same reason Granada out for events 6-1 they lost in the opening day of the season last time and they'll maybe maybe just smell blood because it's because you know Atletico did slip up Um and from Atletico's point of view, it's I think it's just always a you know it's always good to watch a team at the top of the league anyway. But from them their point of view, it's a chance to get back to winning ways after that wobble uh, against Delta. That's two p.m. European time or Western European time, one p.m. British time. And I'll go with my second pick as well: Abar uh, versus Valladolid. Touched on that before, but it's just it's one of, it's probably the first kind of bottom of the table clash of note of the season that I think people should be watching. Also, Valladolid had a weird stroke of, of terrible luck there, just to add to the, the general problems, is that they had three guys booked, uh, Ruben Alcaraz, Joaquin, and um, uh, San Eterio. Um, all three of them were booked against Alaves, and all three of them subsequently are suspended for this game. So it's weird, just from accumulated yellow cards, all three of them are, are out. So not easy for them. Abar as well, though, their confidence is at rock bottom, and I think that's the, this is the first kind of um, relegation battle tie that I think everybody should uh, sort of be paying attention to. Not promising a high standard of football, but <laughs> it should be, should be entertaining. Uh, and what would your second uh, pick be? Uh, I'd, I'd go with Barcelona and, and Alaves. Um, Barcelona, I've seen in brilliant form of late. Um, it'd be interesting to see how Alaves, who've, how they set up and whether they go for it. Um, historically, smaller teams in, in Spain don't always do that. Um, sometimes they would, they would turn up to the to Camp Nou or, or the Bernabeu 
and and play for a draw. Um, but they've already gone to, to Real Madrid and won this season for the first time in 20 years, I believe. Mm. Um, and we're seeing we're seeing a different, a totally different scenario without fans. Um, smaller clubs are, are just going for it really because they've got nothing else to lose, um, and they're they're not intimidated by the home faithful. And as well, it should be noted that they drew Barcelona earlier in the season. So yeah. that one exactly, yeah, yeah. It's a team that kind of seems to turn it on for the for the big games, and you never know as well that 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 game just there might have given them a little bit of a boost. So uh, against Valladolid, so yeah, I think that's four decent picks, and they all I think they're all doable. They're all they're kind of staggered very well. That was just a complete coincidence. We didn't orchestrate our answers or anything uh, before the show, <laughs> but there we go. Okay, well, I think that uh, that will do us, and uh, we are now off to watch the last uh, seven or so minutes of this game. Still Sevilla winning one nil. Um, they'll they'll be they're sitting quite pretty. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. Any predictions? The last ten minutes, Reese, are Sevilla going to hang on? Uh, if they do hang on, which which is likely at this stage, um, it'll be a fantastic position. Obviously, going into the second leg, which will take place next week, um, they've got to go to the camp now. Um, Sevilla in fantastic form as well. Uh, it's going to be fantastic to watch who's going to make the final. That's great. Copa del Rey is just absolutely magic. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Reese. We'll see you again in two weeks. And for those of you listening, thank you as always. We'll be back next week with Daniel and we're going to have an extra podcast with uh, Paul Reedy from Diario As and he's going to be talking about Rayo Vallecano. So we'll see you a couple of times next week. Enjoy your weekend and uh, adios. <laughs>